This is Office Detox. Personal stories reflected in this podcast are true, but details have been changed to protect the companies and people involved. We went out to lunch at a sushi and teppanyaki place. There were white tablecloths and cloth napkins, giving a classy feel, but it was still a place by the airport, and you could feel that as well. I had been to this place for years and always liked it, with the oversized pieces of fish, the quality ingredients. It was awesome. Laura was the VP of HR, and although sometimes going to lunch with the HR person would make me feel nervous, not with Laura. Firstly, she was gorgeous. She had red hair that's in curls and is slim and petite due to her vegetarian lifestyle. She's the kind of person who looks even prettier with her glasses on. That day, she was wearing a black shift dress and I was wearing a red one. We were definitely looking like we were cut from the same cloth. And I felt that in other circumstances, people might've thought we were BFFs as our laughter filled the air. But it was a serious matter. And Laura had a way of transitioning gracefully from the earnest to the playful and back again. She had this, let's take on the world together vibe. She came here as a new Canadian from Poland and did not have it easy, telling me how envious she was of her coworkers who could afford a morning bagel when she could not, when she first came to Canada in her, on her own in her 20s. We were talking about how I hadn't received a promotion, raise or bonus or in, in over six years. We both knew that the reason was around the boss and his affairs the young staff and my lack of wanting anything of that kind. When he and I drove somewhere together, he would linger in the front seat looking at me. And there was a time in the elevator when he got too close and just kind of waited. But I never had any desire there whatsoever, even if I wasn't married. And men like this tend to know not to reach out at this point for fear of legal repercussions. But if I reached out to him, it would have been safe. But lucky for me, that just wasn't me whatsoever. We knew that for the narcissistic and predator boss that I was dealing with, it was about him having a position or a bargaining chip. But since we could not talk about that openly, we devised a plan to work together. But I had a problem since I was running out of food money for my family some weeks close to payday. I had no milk for my son at the end of the week sometimes, and it made me feel like I was on quicksand. It was also like a double life, since by day I was managing people and giving presentations in suits, but going home unable to provide the basics for my family. Long story short, Laura was there when I was let go two years later, and she left shortly after I did of today's podcast is nowhere to turn, as in today, when someone is experiencing a toxic work environment, there really is nowhere to turn for help. HR, management, unions, courts, changing jobs, it is all hard and there is no easy road. Office Detox is a podcast about business and part of the darker side of it. Most people in business are decent people just trying to do their thing. But a small minority of people are toxifying the workplace, and the rest of us have to struggle through it. What if we could identify them 
detox the office so the rest of us could do our jobs and live our lives. My name is Stefania Sigurdsson Forbes, and I am your host of Office Detox. So my dear listeners, where I go into the dirty dozen or the 12 reasons why offices are so toxic today, intertwining my own experiences and those of a true story and taking that and trying to generalize it for everyone who's listening right now. After I'm done the Dirty Dozen, this podcast will have a bit more variety, and I also mean to build a website with illustrations handmade by myself. I also wanted to extend a big thank you to you and all my other listeners, since I'm now in the top 200 of the Apple Store in business podcasts. It's a mixed feeling, since I guess a lot of you are working in these types of environments, but at the same time, I'm happy to be a resource, and I'm happy that this content seems to be resonating with people. In the middle of this, we are in a global pandemic, COVID-19. In my day job, I'm doing a lot of writing about it in a professional sense. And I don't have much to add here, but if you are in a toxic work environment right now, at least you can be in it from the comfort of home. That does help. I hope you're staying safe. I hope your family is healthy. I hope that you're able to make it work financially. These are stressful times, and as this podcast will attest, most of us don't have the right leaders to navigate us through it. Originally, I was gonna do this podcast about human resources or HR in general, but the story is just too simple. There is a single problem with human resources, and that's a conflict of interest. My HR colleague, Laura, meant well, but there was really nothing for her to do. Even though they are positioned to help employees, they are actually paid by the organizations. So the amount that they can actually do in this situation is limited, even if they have the best of intentions. In reality, since most workers are not unionized, people have nowhere to go when they hit a dispute. They can only go to HR, who usually has limited power. They can go to bat to a certain extent for someone, but it doesn't really mean they'll make a difference. This is not to have any opinion regarding unions. I've never worked in a unionized environment and I know a lot of people who have have huge opinions about this and I'm not gonna be opening up that can of worms. But the truth is most people are not protected by unions anyway. In the US, 34.4% of the public sector employees are in a union and just 6.5% of private sectors are in one. In Canada, union paid employees comprise of 31.8% of employees overall. And don't forget that 25% of adults aged 35 to 54 and 11% 55 plus are in the gig economy in the US without any like even employee style protections. And in truth, even having HR is a privileged position. Many businesses don't have it at all and the hiring is done by line managers or owners. Others are self-employed and there, there too, there can be toxicity. And the only recourse in that case is small claims court. So although there is some protection when it comes to one quarter or so of the people who have a union, and there is three quarters of us whose only real recourse is the courts. And the majority of people who encounter toxicity don't go that route. Instead, they have to choose between finding another job or another boss in the organization or just bearing with it with that potentially leading to toxicity within themselves, a type of emotional collapse, or sometimes a kind of dissociation from the job and mission, which gets back to 
why are we letting the toxic people just do what they want anyway? Today's story, we are going to focus on Lois Jensen versus Evelith Mines in Minnesota. It's a story about Lois Jensen and coworkers Patricia Cosmark and Kathleen Anderson, who launched the first class action lawsuit for sexual harassment. If this sounds a bit familiar to you, the movie North Country starring Charlize Theron was loosely based on the story. So my notes will be in the show notes. I took these uh, notes from a variety of articles and then hand wrote them and then typed it based on that. Just so there's absolutely no plagiarism at all, um, not even by mistake, but I will put the references in the show notes. Lois is a classically beautiful woman with blonde hair, blue rounded eyes and soft features. I mean, the movie version of her with Charlize Theron, right? She has a gaze with some defiance, and maybe that was something that she used to protect herself. Lois hails from northeastern Minnesota, which is the home to the Masabi Iron Ridge, the richest seam of iron ore on the planet. It once produced all of Americans' iron and steel. This area was also the birthplace of the United Steelworkers over a hundred years ago. Jensen's father, two brothers, and brother-in-law worked in the mines. Meanwhile, Lois worked in a secretarial job in the Twin Cities over 200 miles away. Tragically, she was the victim of date rape and she got pregnant with that and she had a son. She then had a relationship with another man, had a child, and he left her. She got a job at a local credit union, cutting down on her commute, and she saw a female miner cashing a check for several times what she earned. In 1975, when Eveleth Mines were hiring, she applied and was eventually one of the first women hired. Around that time, the Equal Opportunity Commission ruled that 20% of jobs needed to go to women and minorities. Three times as much money as she had made in her previous role and offered benefits. Lois wanted to create a decent life for herself and her family, just like the rest of us. The mine looks like a boxy collection of buildings in the middle of a huge parking lot. The only building I've seen that looks like this is a cement factory, but in general, it looks pretty stark and industrial. On the job, she drove trucks, operated equipment, acted as an electrician's helper and a draftsman. Some of the men at work became her friends. At the time, there were 600 men working there and only four women, which was an intimidating prospect toxic work environment. During the course of her work, Lois coped with a variety of abusive behaviors. There's some major trigger warnings coming up, so you may want to advance the sound for a few minutes if you don't want to hear some of this awful treatment that she bore along with some of the other minors that were women. On her second day of work, she was told, you women don't belong here. If you knew it was good for you, you'd go home where you belong. Graffiti was painted, showing the women who work there in sexual positions. Nooses were hung over the female workers' workstations. Women were subjected to verbal abuse, being called sluts, bitches, and whores. Some of them were subjected to unwanted touching, grabbing, and kissing. Some women found semen deposited on their clothes when they returned to their lockers. One woman was threatened to be thrown into the pit, which was a big pile of coal, when she refused her coworkers' advances. 
Some were threatened or stalked. Lois was stalked while she was off duty. She woke up one night in the house that she shared with her son and found that a minor had broken in. As new women came in, they were tested in some way. So that was a lot. Take a deep breath. Just released quite a bit of negative energy to this poor lady who's just trying to make the best life for her family. She was a single mom and just trying to make ends meet and make the most of her opportunities that were around her. Being a single mom is hard as I saw my own mom do that when I grew up. To add to this, the toxic work environment didn't stop when she got home. I can't imagine how she made it through. When people are saying, you women don't belong here, it seems like she was insisting on bucking the system and putting her fist in the air, but she was just trying to have a good life and she was trying to work with the resources that she had in the area that she lived in. I feel that maybe Jensen was tested somehow and through instinct, certain people saw a vulnerability in her. I've been a vulnerable person as well, where you are a bit different, where you are a bit more sensitive, where you react a little more to things, where you are a bit more in need. And if you're someone like that and you aren't watching your own back or you don't have friends doing it, the world can be a tougher place. So in 1983, a senior engineer sent Jensen a relentless series of suggestive letters. She tried to work with management and filed a complaint to the mine and nothing happened. She then went further in 1984 and filed a grievance with the union and submitted a complaint to the Minnesota Department of Human Rights. She then went to court and the trial lasted for a whopping 12 years. In 1987, the mine was asked to pay $6,000 in damages and get a policy. They did get a policy that they posted around the mine, but they did not pay the damages for the mental anguish. The Minnesota Attorney General, Helen Rubenstein, heard that others had similar experiences and decided to bring it to class action, something that had never been done before when it comes to sexual harassment. Later, the case got moved to a private firm, Spencer and Lang. The suit was filed in 1988. Now, there's a whole bunch of details here and we could go on forever, but you're probably wanting to get to your next episode of the Generation Y podcast, my favorite murder podcast, Crime Lines, or They Walk Among Us. So I'm just gonna um, jump through some of the details and get closer to the end. It took until 1991 for a judge James Rosenbaum to certify the group as a class. By 1993, Judge Richard Kyle ruled that Ogle Bay Norton, the parent company of Eveleth Mines, was liable for maintaining a hostile work environment. By 1998, they settled with 15 women for $3.5 million. In a way, Jensen later reflected that having going to trial would have been a true day in court, but that wasn't the course that the group took. She felt racked with guilt for that. For work, she quit her job in 1992, too exhausted to continue on the job. She was on meds for PTSD and her weight ballooned. She had bouts of pneumonia. She lost her friends and wore out her family. And these are the costs of trying to fight something when you have nowhere to turn. And there are also high costs to not keeping quiet. 
And in a way, when employees are in that nowhere to turn situation, there really is no winning. Option one, you can deal with the pain and abuse and suffer the consequences, or you can fight it and suffer the consequences, or you can leave and suffer the consequences. It's a tough decision no matter what, and all of the paths are difficult. So back to my story. Director of Human Resources, Laura and I tried to work together for quite some time on getting some sort of bonus so I could support my family. I remember after one conversation that I had with my narcissistic predatory manager, he came out with a folded piece of paper with goals for me to achieve in order to get a bonus. But soon after he forgot and for weeks and turning into months, I kept trying to bring up the goals and he'd forget it or he'd put it off. Laura tried as well, but no luck. Because when you have a toxic situation, HR can only do so much. No matter how well-meaning they are, they cannot stand up to any real extent to an owner. Even though Laura was a great person and used her power of influence as much as she could, there was just nowhere for her to go. She reported to him. He had the power, not her. And at the time, I was supporting my family on my own with my stay-at-home husband. I was saving where I could, buying clothes secondhand, extending dates on credit, scrimping on groceries. I started moonlighting as a marketing consultant on the weekend, on top of my schedule where I left for work in the morning before my kids woke up and came home just one hour before they got to bed. I felt like I was on this treadmill and I wasn't making any progress. If anything, I felt like I was going backwards. But the promises from the narcissistic predator kept coming. Laura kept hoping and supporting. But the bosses were the bosses. They wanted what they wanted. They wanted to pay in the bottom of 50% of the wages so that they could have the appearance of having a bigger team. And in an article on HR Daily Advisor titled, Is There a Conflict of Interest in HR Roles? Author Bridget Miller writes, Employees often assume that the HR staff is there to administer benefits, process payroll sometimes, and resolve complaints within the organization and about the organization. And these things are often true. But the catch is, HR representatives also have to protect the organization and have to report to managers of the organization too. As such, it can be a very fine line Employee needs and frustrations may be in direct or indirect conflict with organizational needs. So in the article, she lists some examples and here's some quotes. Employees want more training, but the organization has not allocated enough of a training budget. Employees expect the HR team to be on their side when it comes to complaints. But even if the HR professional agrees with the general complaint, he or she may not be able to advocate for the changes without risking his or her relationships with the organization. Employees expect HR to fix things, but HR may not have the final say. Individual members of the HR team may not be immune to troubles themselves. What happens if either an HR team member is being harassed or is harassing another employee? In one final note, she says, it's a difficult needle to thread. HR professionals are tasked with ensuring employees' needs are met, but they must do so within the constraints presented by the organizational budgets while taking into account how best 
to keep the organization protected from a legal standpoint on all applicable matters. Conflicting interests happen often and finding the best solution sometimes seems impossible. So I feel like she was keeping it, keeping it real in this article and saying things that a lot of HR managers are feeling, but not necessarily saying themselves, including my former colleague, Laura. So what can you do when there's nowhere to go? I think I end with an answer similar to the HR article. It's tough to start over. I still encounter former colleagues all the time from my toxic workplace. I was luckily senior enough to not need any of them for references. But as you can see, this is a difficult journey no matter what. The legal action that I pursued was hard and seeing them is hard. The awkward pain is hard. There's no winning solution, dear listeners. And hopefully, even when you have nowhere to turn, you can come out of the situation with your humanity intact. As I mentioned on earlier episodes, some of the trainees suffered in this predatory organization, and I was part of that. So hopefully this will repair some of the karma by helping now thousands of people who listen to this podcast. Thank you for that, by the way. So my dear listeners, this whole experience has left me with a clear view of what things are and what they aren't. I think in the 2000s and teens, we were blown away with how technology was changing our lives, that things got taken over by this inspirational business culture and technology leaders put on a pedestal like rock stars. And although I love technology, these managers and leaders are not stars or inspirational. We don't put an orange farmer on a pedestal because we love fruit so much, or the person running the vineyard for your wine. Although that's a bit more boring, it's closer to the truth. And as always, the truth will absolutely set you free. Final words. I found that Lois Jensen's story is kind of something of an accidental feminist. And I think a lot of us get into an environment not realizing what it's actually like, and we have to fight more than we thought we did. I think of the wonderful organization called Trans Lifeline, supporting transgender people. They are for transgender by transgender to try to prevent the epidemic of suicide in that community. The thing that I like about it is that they are defining themselves and supporting themselves. And I think that makes for a really good support system. Imagine if Lois Jensen had something like that, something where people like herself were supported by like-minded people trying to make lives better for coworkers and their families. Lois said that the movie starring Charlize Theron gave her her life back. It showed the clear truth about her journey. There's something about having a story told that is validating. Secrets are toxic people's best friends, and I'm glad that Lois got some peace in the end. And let's tell our stories more. Some final food for thought. According to Gallup, 72% of people are not engaged at work. There's sleepwalking. 18% of people actively undermine their coworkers. One in four are actively seeking another job. Yet, and yet, and yet, 95% of people want to be part of something special. So 
it's just this piece of frustration where this doesn't even work from the business standpoint. If it sort of made sense from a business standpoint, I'd understand it, but it's just like from a business standpoint, it's hurting the bottom line, having all these toxic work environments. But I guess this just really isn't on anyone's radar. And just another piece about burning bridges. One reason why predators and narcissists thrive in the workplace is because we're all tiptoeing around them, trying not to rock up the boat. Well, why not rock the boat a little and not be so scared all the time? So my lovely listeners, thank you for sticking with me today. It means a lot to me that you're still listening to this and I hope that it strikes a chord with you. I love you and I'm sending positive energy your way. I'll see you next time with the next episode of Office Detox.